Welcome to Kirstie Alley on The Verge. On today's podcast, Kirstie talks about some of her peers' reactions to her Twitter and also gives us some great advice for actors and actresses who are just getting into the business. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Kirstie Alley. Hello, 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 hello. This is Kirstie. How are you? I wanted to start out by thanking the thousands of you who tuned into my first podcast. Thank you so much. I really do know you got a million things you could be listening to, so it means a lot to me that you chose my podcast. So here we are again, and um, oh, yep, there's Corey over there on the drums. How you doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, now this is, okay, he probably hates this, but I have to say this, that, um, you know, I have two Welsh corgis, and we just call them corgis. So my grandson, Waylon, asked me, uh, Mama, what kind of dogs are yours? And I said, they're corgis. And he said, oh, okay, so I could see him, like, sort of note that. And then the next time he saw Corey, he said, Mama, <laughs> what is Corgi doing over here? So, <laughs> that name is stuck. That's my name. That's your name. And every text I sent to Corgi Sense is that. So, let's call him by his real name, Corgi. Anyway, I think what we're going to get into is, um, you know, celebrities calling out other celebrities on Twitter and social media, which I'm not an advocate for. And then we're going to move on to perverts, because I lived with one for several years, and ooh, I've got some great, crazy stories. And we'll get to that if we have time. If not, I guess that's going to be podcast number three. Or maybe we should call it pervcast number three. Since I did a podcast, I put out a tweet. And before I tell you what this tweet was, I just want to say that I don't care who you vote for. It's your prerogative, and um, I'm hoping you don't care who I voted for. I mean, we all have an opinion. I mean, you think I'm an idiot if I'm voting for Trump, and I think you're an idiot if you're voting for Biden, but that isn't really the point of this podcast today. The more, It's more of a point of calling out your fellow peers, your, your fellow, in my case, celebrity peers. But I sent out a tweet... On October 17th, it said, I'm voting for Trump because he's not a politician. I voted for him four years ago for the reason, for this reason, and shall vote for him again for this reason. He gets things done quickly, and he will turn the economy around quickly. There you have it, folks. There you have it. Well, for me, that was pretty benign, uh, and it started some kind of a shitstorm, really. Um, I, I, I think I got over... Was it three or four hundred thousand hits on my Twitter? I guess it would no, it's like three hundred thousand likes. Is that a heart? Yes. A heart. And then I got about fifty thousand I hate you more than anyone in the world. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, I was okay with everyone hating me. <laughs> except I sort of took issue with it with my peer group. So what I did was, after that happened, I started getting all sorts of calls from different networks if I would go on their news shows. And uh, I happened to like Sean Hannity. And he asked me if I would come on and say a few words about <laughs> getting attacked ruthlessly. Uh, I said yes. I went on Sean Hannity. I think I was on there for like 15 seconds, but that was kind of fun. Um... Because I've always just considered myself, I'm just one person, one vote. 
it's not like I'm the politico of the universe and everyone should listen to me and do whatever I say. But also, I just thought it was so insane that my peers were the ones who were reaching out with these asshat tweets. So it's always been my policy to not at my peers, even if I think they're jerks or stupid or what they're saying is ridiculous. I've just, I just thought that it was sort of a hidden code. Um, I have to say it was particularly hurtful because... I always have thought that there is this camaraderie amongst my fellow actors and peers that sort of transcends differences in politics, religion, race, things like that. And I've always felt that we had this kind of strong bond as a group until I started noticing things about five to ten years ago, things sort of started to switch over. And maybe it was just in my mind that we had all this camaraderie and that we were in the same peer group. Um, but it seemed like that because, I, you know, I go to very few, but I, I go to parties or events or award shows or charity events and everyone seems cordial to each other. So I got that idea. So I think that's a valid reason for me to have that idea, but these tweets were sent out, and they were not just the ones from my peers, but I, I can take those up first, but people like to say certain things. They mock my age, my weight, irrelevance, I'm irrelevant, you know, just degrading achievements and things like that. So, there were some guys that were surprising to me. Judd Apatow was one. Here's one that I thought was sort of surprising. And this isn't really my peer, but it was. it's from Joe Lockhart, who... Um, Joe Lockhart was a former press secretary for President Bill Clinton. And uh, he said, I'm voting for Biden because I have a brain. Thank you, Joe. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, then this one seemed valid as far as what was said, but it's from Patricia Arquette. And she said, well, my vote for Biden canceled yours out. I have done my civic duty of the day. That's kind of like nanny, nanny, boo-boo. It is nanny, nanny, (laughs) boo-boo. And the other thing is this. I mean, I have been nothing but raves to Patricia Arquette and every single show or movie that she's done over the years, you know, she was following me, I was following her and every single thing she did, I would send out, oh my God, this is so amazing. You're such an amazing actress. Everybody be sure and watch this with Patricia Arquette, blah, 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 blah. And that seemed all good. Now, here's the weird thing is I've been yapping about Trump in one way or another since, I guess, six months before the election in 2016. So this isn't something new. It's just something, I don't know, it isn't something new. So I don't know. This is what it felt like. It felt like this mothership took a hold of that tweet and then sent down all their killer bees. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm telling you, thousands of hits on my Twitter, and they all have... They all had this sort of identifying backgrounds in their tweets. Uh, I mean, the artwork, 
the emojis. They, they, so it felt like killer bees were just sent down. Like someone gave the order, attack. And is that possible? I, th- I think so. I think uh, somebody sent uh, a script out because a lot of them were very similar tweets to uh, uh, the other. I think, and you know, a lot of those are blue check marks. It's probably a little easier to get blue check marked again or now than prior to. <laughs> you but think? a lot of the blue blue check marks were were were, were after you, right? Because there has to be some sort of a uh, an agreement that if you're well, we know this is true. If you're in Hollywood and you don't vote conservative, I mean, if you don't vote liberal, then you're a monster or something. But then we had Judd Apatow, who I again. I'm not going to criticize anybody's work or what I think of them because I think they're sort of genius. Judd Apatow said, you know, Shelley Long was way funnier than you. Thank you, Judd Apatow. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, I heard it from about (laughs) 40,000 of the killer bees that came down from the mothership. Right. So, okay, so there was that happening. And then we have Danny. Danny Zucker was from... um, you know, I think he's the, one of the creators of Modern Family. Modern Family, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't even have anything to say to him. I know what he said about me, but I don't have anything to say back because he is connected to someone who tragically caused the death of someone that was near and dear to me, so I'm going to leave that at that. And then I had, you know, I had tweets from Ken Olin. Ken Olin is an actor, but now is, I think, very successful at uh, producing. But Ken Olin said... He said, so Kirstie Alley joined others on the island of disgruntled former celebrities where Donald Trump is the king. Let them fly their freak flag. Who cares? Certainly not the public. It is what it is. If we vote, we win. Stay focused. Okay, so the part that, of course, hit home was disgruntled what, did he say? He said disgruntled former celebrities. Disgruntled former celebrity. Like, I'm sort of thinking himself, because he was in 30-something. Haven't seen, I personally haven't seen him around very much. But just the point that people are, I just don't think it's right to reach over the line. I don't follow any of these people. I don't know any of these people in person. Oh, here's one, Maria, how do you even say her name? Surtees? She's in Star Trek or something. And she's, her, her uh, tweet to me was, you're dead to me. <laughs> right. Live long and prosper, Maria. <laughs> uh, speaking of Star Trek, did you see that uh, non-partial uh, video that Star Trek put out? It was pretty darn po- non-partial, right? Oh, my God. I was laughing. Uh, non-partisan, excuse me. Non-partisan, yeah. I was watching. I, I saw the non-partisan <laughs> Star Trek. It was funny that they didn't call me. <laughs> Why do you think they didn't call you? I mean, that would have been awful non-partisan. It was supposed to be non-partisan. Just get out there and vote. What? But, but there were certain things in there that made me laugh so hard because also one of the people in it had just said, you're dead to me. And right. uh, I guess I just don't think it's fair game to jump over the line and start attacking your friends. But they're not your friends. Let's call them your comrades. And your, your peers. So I don't know why that's important to jump back over in my lane. And why are we criticizing or invalidating someone's livelihood and their work? It's, it's part of this cancel culture. You know, you're, it's, it's the thought of 
you're a has-been or you're too old or you th- these things. But I started really thinking about it because I thought, wow, where did this come from and why is this going on? And am I has-been? Am I irrelevant? So I did a little research, sort of like my research, because... I want to sort of take up this thing of calling people has-beens. It's not just with women, um, and it's not just coming from our peers, because I see it with different actors on their feeds and Twitter, and this calling out. It's, the chronic line is, you're irrelevant. So I just wanted to take that up a little bit. You know, I was never the quintessential ingenue as an actress because I actually didn't start acting until I was 30. I feel that I've had, like, the most awesome dream career spanning 40 years. You know, I've never done this before, but I, I, I wanted to know because I was curious about what the odds are of becoming successful in the first place. And uh, so I did a little research. And out of all the people in the Screen Actors Guild, Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA are the biggest unions for actors. And all of, I think there's 160,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild. And out of all of those, less than 2% actually work as actors to make a living by just acting. Less than 2%. Those people, out of those people, if you want to have health insurance, which you're in the Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA is what it's called, you have to make 16000 or over to get your health insurance. Is that per year or period? That's per year. Oh, you have to make 16000 bucks per year in right. order to get health insurance? In order to get SAG health insurance. So I guess what I'm trying to say is only 15% of the actors in the Screen Actors Guild make over $16,000 a year. I'm not trying to discourage people from being actors. That's not my point here. I'm just saying that... You're really, really lucky (laughs) if you can make a good living at being an actor. And you must be blessed by God if you can be highly successful as an actor. Okay, so and out of that 2% that makes a living above $16,000 a year, probably 1% hit the big time and strike it rich. And then you go on from there with how many people strike it rich, but then have a very flash in the pan career. You know, do you do one series or one movie and then that's it for you? Or do you have a career that spans decades? Again, I'm not trying to scare people away from an acting career. I'm just trying to Give people an idea of what it really is. Uh, It's true that this day there are more opportunities because of all the venues than when I started out. When I started out, it was like you did movies, ABC, NBC, and CBS, basically. So if you look at that, you see this select few actors had the kind of career that you would, I guess you would say you would dream of. So... You also probably don't know this, that probably 20 or less actors exist at any time on planet Earth that you can consider A-list. You know, Corey, you hear that thrown around a lot, right? A-list actors? Yes. Okay. Well, not with me, but... 
with you. Well, not with me either, <laughs> because, because really what an A-list actor is, it has two meaning, meanings, really. It has, and the first one is, can most people identify that actor by their name? If you say Robert De Niro. Yes. Okay. I know who he is. A-list. If you say Meryl Streep. Same. A-list. Then there's A-list movie actors and there's A-list television actors. I can say that most places where I go, they know my name. So that's one definition of A-list actors, where you're sort of at the top of your game, and you have been a long time, or you are right this ne- right this second and present time. And the other kind of term for A-list, which is really, really the one I was talking about, where there's fewer than 20 actors at any given time who are A-list, and what that means is you can green light a film or a TV series. And what that means is... You somebody shows up with a script and they say we want to sell this script and they go yeah we'll greenlight that who do you have to star if you have someone to star in oh Brad Pitt okay we'll greenlight it which means we'll make that movie we'll fund it blah 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 so at any given time there's really only about fifteen to twenty actors on the entire planet then that can get a film greenlit especially you know sometimes. Lesser actors can get films greenlit that are independent films with a budget of, you know, 10, 5 million, 3 million, something like that. But for the most part, if you're talking about A-list, you're talking about people who can get scripts greenlit. Okay, so when you see people calling me or when I see people calling other actors who've worked for a long time and had great success, calling them washed up, irrelevant, there is a rightness about it and there's a wrongness. So I want to explain that. Out of those 1%, 2%, all these these numbers that are being thrown out, then we get to people over 50. People over 50 now. Okay, so are, how are, how's their career going to go? How are they going to do? What parts are going to be offered to them? I think the most interesting thing about acting is that it's actually one of the few professions on earth that sort of goes along with the circle of life because you know you could be a kid actor you could be an ingenue the young lover the star of a movie the star of a tv show then you would move in being somebody's mom somebody's dad then you jump up then you're someone's grandma or grandpa and then you're someone's great grandma or grandpa and then you're dead <laughs> so <laughs> There's not a lot of part. You know what? They use a lot of background artists for dead people. Anyway, my point is that there is this evolution that transpires. But so you can see that, you know, most movies and TV shows, their leading people are young. And rightfully so. You know, it's a it's a young family, a young mom, a young dad. They got their kids and grandma walks in and cracks a joke. And even in a movie, you know, Grandma's sort of on the sideline. You don't really see a lot of films about 60-year-olds meeting, falling in love, having a grand affair, you know. Sometimes you do in Britain. They really do (laughs) revere their older actors a little bit more than in the United States. But it's still, you know, it's the, the whole point. Even if you see it in Britain, it's, hi, we're all in a nursing home. And it's the love stories that go on in a nursing home. So for the most part, when actors, especially actresses, I got to say, you know, it's different with actors because male actors tend to be cast with, you know, if they're 
60, they're cast with an actress who's 30 <laughs> as their love interest. You you really don't see women my age getting cast. You know, if, if I'm 60, my love interest is not going to be 30. It's going to be like Mr. Drummond, the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> my, my love interest is definitely going to be Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> so... You know, unless there's a very special story, but, you know, there aren't even movies of the week for those very special stories anymore. So when a woman is over 50, the jobs go obviously down, 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 you know, the amount of jobs. So all I'm saying is, I don't feel sorry for myself. I'm just saying you have to get really, really created, creative, not created. You got to really get creative. And so when I hear people say you're irrelevant and you're washed, I just want to say something that's a very, it's an anomaly, actually. I have made more money from 50 to present time, and I'll be 70 this year. Woo. Now, in the first podcast, I said I was 68 because I forgot how old I was. <laughs> anyway, between last week and this week. You remembered. My son said, hey, yeah, mom, you're 69. I was like, oh, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> So anyway, nice. okay, now, so between 50 and 70, I made more money than I made between 30 and 50. And between 30 and 50 were my wonder years. And the only way I did that was to get smarter. You know, when I was eight, when I was 45, I got a divorce and I moved in with a perv. <laughs> That's a different story, but it's a good one. I moved in with a perv. But at that time, you know, I was doing, uh, I started doing Veronica's Closet. I was the star of Veronica's Closet. I was a Veronica. Anyway, after I got a divorce, I had two kids and I wasn't allowed anymore to leave town to go film and take my kids with me because of their school and because of shared custody. So at age 45, when I started, I think I was 45, 46, when I was doing Veronica's Closet. What my pattern before that was, was I would do a series, like seven months, eight months out of the year. Then I would do a movie. Then I would jerk around. I was going to say jerk off, but there's a whole new meaning <laughs> with that with Mr. Tubin. Anyway, so I was jerking around. I wasn't anyway. I was goofing around. Let's just put it that way. So I did Veronica's Closet, and after I did that, I did movies in between then, too. But I would only do a movie if it was, this sounds so stupid, but it's true. Uh, when I got an offer, I'd say, well, if I'm working less than six weeks, <laughs> I can do it. But I, I had that because I didn't want to be away from my kids more than two weeks. And so I'd be allowed, if I was working two weeks, then they could come with me for Two weeks, then I could work two weeks, then they could, then I'm done, right? Is that why you did a bunch of TV movies? Is that right? No, 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 no. Well, I was, no, I was doing, it, it, because they shoot out of town too. It was more, what can I do in Los Angeles that I can have shared custody but see my kids all the time? So that, that was more the dilemma. When I was about 53, I think, is when I started realizing that I needed to do other kinds of work, and that's when I started being the spokesperson for Pier One, I don't know, Pantene commercial, commercial stuff. Because here's the deal that you don't know. When you're doing a commercial like that or a Pantene and you're the spokesperson, you work like two or three days a year. And uh, it was always in Los Angeles. And then you bang out all these commercials and then they would show throughout, throughout that year. So that's how I got into that line of work so that I could stay in Los Angeles. 
Here's the truth. Being an actress, you're always reinventing yourself. And you're always out of work after each project. That's the life of an actor, and not many people can take it. Because you walk off the set, you don't know where your next job is coming from. If you're in a hit series like I've been several times, you usually know before you go down for your hiatus that you're going to come back the next season. So then you can really <laughs> live a la vida loca while you're out there for those few months before you come back. But mostly what happens to actors is they walk off a set and they don't know what their next job is. And that drives most people crazy. So uh, when I was doing... Um, I was doing a miniseries called North and South, and it was about this civil war, and I was really honored to be part of it because I was in the midst of a cast of icons, uh, you know, people who came before me that were just my idols, like Jimmy Stewart, Olivia de Havilland, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, I mean, that the cast of North and South was just star-studded, and... I remember I was sitting beside Jimmy Stewart one day, and um, what started us to talk to each other was that I have lemurs, and I was talking to another actor about my lemurs, and Jimmy Stewart said, oh, my wife and I had monkeys. And I thought, wow, fellow wacko, let's hear this. <laughs> I go, oh, where'd you keep him? And he goes, well, it was pretty great because <laughs> we... We had our monkeys in a huge compound right outside our bedroom window, and then every night we'd open our bedroom window, and all the monkeys would come in, and we would play with them in the bedroom, and they'd jump around in the beds and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, there's my icon talking about monkeys, and that's how I am about my lemurs. Anyway, I just, I was so in awe of him, not just about his huge body of work, but also about obviously his monkeys. And he told me something that was unbelievable to me because he, like I said, he's a national treasure. And he said to me, you know, every job I ever got, I thought it was a prank. I never thought someone would really hire me. So I always thought they were kidding. And then after I'd do that movie and I'd walk off that set, I would go into a depression and think, I'm never going to be hired again. And I thought, wow, if this guy <laughs> feels that way, then after I do North and South, I think I'm going to get hired again. <laughs> and I'm going to get some more monkeys. <laughs> so, you know, and also I was looking at it and I thought, you know, the truth is there will be a last set. There will be a last part for all of us, not just in the acting business, but there will be a time when that's your last movie or that's your last show. And it does have something to do with age. So when someone's saying you're a husband or you're irrelevant, it, as far as the world of acting and key, key parts that people would kill for, um, you sort of are, you, you know, your time has mostly been up for that. You're not going to be the ingenue anymore. You're not going to be, you might be the lead in something and you, or you might not be, but there's people that come after you. I mean, and, but that's the story of life. It's like how many, <laughs> it does have something to do with age because how many 70 year old race car drivers have you seen? <laughs> you know, how many 60 year old NFL players are there? I have zero. 
Yeah, and how many love stories in movies and TV shows are starring 60-year-old women? Or how many covers of the women mag- women's magazines are, are the women over 50? Only in, oh, because Oprah owns the magazine. <laughs> she gets to be on the cover every month. <laughs> but the normality of it is it, it would be rare if you were, do you know? And I know now that unless I'm in a movie as somebody's grandmother or... Maybe a British movie where I get to be in a love story with someone in a nursing home. (laughs) Or that's like the circle of life kind of thing. So it freaks me out, I guess, when people degrade that circle. And a lot of times the people that are saying shit like this, their time will come, you know? Or it already has. That one, I can't remember who it was. She said... I had to Google who Kirstie Alley was. Well, we had to Google her. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I know what you mean, but it's also okay. If you don't know who I am, you don't know who I am, and that's okay. But you don't need to take my career and degrade my career or act like I, I, I'm not all that. I'm fucking all that. <laughs> I've had a career that's spanned 40 years, and I'm not quite dead yet. <laughs> and like I said, To make more money from 50 to 70 than you did from 30 to 50, I'm all that. It's pretty solid. It's solid. I like it. But why can I do that? Because I'm a pretty solid person also, not just an actor. And I... I must make some people happy, but I don't, I don't want to be part of this cancel culture that Hollywood is becoming where if you don't like the way someone thinks, if you don't like their religion, you call them out on their religion. If you don't like their uh, political stance, you call them out on that. It's like, fuck you. You're this. Well, fuck you. You're a fucking bigot, you jerk. And when I really sat back and thought about it, none of these people are people that really actually are my friends my friends for the most part aren't even in show business and the ones who are they're a little in question to me i've got to say they don't come to my rescue ever i was gonna say you found out who your friends were in hollywood pretty quick i know but it's not just right with the one tweet but also not even just that i you know i've had my religion lambasted crickets 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 now the people who follow me on Twitter will come to my rescue or friends that I have like you or Kelly or my friends that aren't even in show business will come to my rescue. But there must it's like this some hidden it feels like cowards, like they're cowering in the corner and they're afraid to speak up. And exa- do you really think there's only like five celebrities in Hollywood that are voting for Trump. <laughs> no, there's there, there's got to be more, but you know it just takes balls to say it, and you had it, you did it, because well, nobody wants to go through what you went through this last week or two weeks or whatever. So yeah, but you know what? I'm this. glad I went through it. I'm glad I went through it because when you you know silence is as powerful as shouting from the mountaintop. No one is coming to your defense. What should they have said? My friends, who I thought were my friends, that I've worked with, some of these people I've given two or three jobs to, some people, I really thought, all they have to do is go, you know what, that's not cool. You don't need to degrade her work. You don't need to 
you know, degrade her age since you're this fucking same age, you asshole. Things like that, right? Like the friends of Chris Pratt. I mean, Chris Pratt didn't even say he was voting for Trump, but I think that that's probably what he's doing, but his friends came to his defense all over the place. I feel like that could have happened to me if my friends were braver. Actually, I did think of somebody who came to my defense, a famous designer named Zhang Toy. He came to my defense. And he doesn't even have to agree with my choice of presidential candidates. It's more the fact that when you see your friends getting jerked around and lambasted, for God's sakes, jump in to their defense and and be a brave soul. Someone should come to my defense. And these people that unfollowed me, I mean, there's a big list. I only talked about a few of them, but the people that unfollowed me, some of them, they will privately direct message me on Twitter. Well, can, would, you, would you promote this? Will you promote that? Can you tell people about my show? Can you people, what about my book? Can you promote this? Some of them I've done that for three or four or five or 10 years. And I wrote that one tweet and they unfollowed me. What kind of people are those? Those aren't the kind of people that I've had in my life or that I should revere in this business. I think it's important that we learn from our people that come before us in whatever line of work they're in, or not line of work, from grandparents or parents or older friends or whatever that, you know. I I had something occur last week. Um, This um, actress... Uh, kept trying to bait me, and I, she was playing some game with her friend, you know, with her friends that follow her. Which, like, oh, I want to get blocked by Kirstie Alley. That would be the greatest dream come true if I could be blocked by Kirstie Alley. And then I had this whole slew of her followers tweeting me, you know, block me, block me, block me, <laughs> and you need to block her, block her, block her. And it was kind of funny because, again, here's an actress who's, you know. She's a husband. Who is she? Kirsty who? Blah, 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 blah. And this really is an actress. It's like, who are you? Never heard of you, but okay. And I sort of had a choice to make. I could either, you know, block her or call her out and be a douche. Or I could just sort of back up and go, you know what? Maybe if I just gave her some advice as sort of like a mentor, not that she's asking for advice, but maybe I could say something to her that would help her. So I put out a tweet to her and I validated. She The only thing I'd seen that she'd done were these skits on her thing. And I thought she's sort of funny. So I go, oh, these are funny. And that is how you can build your brand and lead you to the big time. That wasn't a joke. That was, and I wasn't trying to be a dick. That was really saying that. Like, your stuff you're doing is good. Keep going. And maybe you can get in the dig big time. But she couldn't even take that. She's so jaded already or something that she fired back with some nasty tweet that she couldn't fathom that someone was actually rallying on her behalf. And she couldn't see a gift horse who was standing there in her kitchen. And then after that, and then she came fired back with some nasty thing. And then her, 
you know, Twitter friends all fired with nasty things. And then I said, look, you should, I, I tried one more time. If you can't see that somebody's actually trying to encourage you or validate you, then that's not my problem. And she couldn't. And then she did something else. And it just really taught me something. And I guess there is a lesson to be learned, like, with me and the actors that have come before me, like Jimmy Stewart and all those other guys, uh, in my entire 40-year career, I just want to say these kind of people never make it. They uh, may be a flash in the pan or they may have a very short-lived great career, but probably they will have no career and it will never span any length of time because if you aren't a humble person who learns from the people that came before you, then you're just you're just sort of left in the dust. And if I had seen, if I'd ever seen something contrary to that, I would tell you, but I haven't. These kind of people, because I have worked with them, and they may come out of the shoot like red hot, and that's it. You won't hear from them or see them again. So I just wanted to say to people... You know, I get asked all the time. I probably in my 40 years as an actor have been asked 4,000 times. So what's the secret to this? What, how do you, how do you get successful as an actor? What can you do? And I really don't know the answer to that because I think everybody's journey is quite different. But I do know that part of it is being humble and self-deprecating and graceful. My best answer, other than they're going to have their own journey, whatever that may be, is, It takes luck, probably some degree of beauty, talent, humility, being able to be criticized. That's a big one. You are going to be criticized for everything under the sun, moon, and stars. You're too tall, you're too short, you're too ethnic, you're too old, you're too young, you're too fat, you're too skinny. You're always too something. So you have to be pretty strong to be able to handle all the criticism you're going to get and being smart enough to know where you are on the food chain at any given time you know you just sort of ain't all that until you're all that and my experience is that when someone is all that they either don't even know it or they're so humble that they never act like it So I guess my advice for young, sprouting artists in the entertainment industry is to learn from those who came before you. And, you know, actually kind of revere them in a way. Because we've put in a lot of hard hours. We put in a lot of 16, 18-hour days on the on sets and making movies and our careers have spanned decades and decades and decades. And that is rare. I think the easiest thing to say is just don't be a dick. Well, that's the easiest thing to say, but it's not a podcast. (laughs) 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 Okay. So everybody, thanks for tuning in again. I was going to go into pervs. And tell you all about the ones that I've experienced. But I want to save that for another day because I have a special guest that I'd like to join me who was with me during my perv years. Not that I was a perv. (laughs) You get what I mean. Anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, 
I hope it made some sense. Thanks. Okay, so that's what I had to say. And then Corgi thinks I should say something else, but I really don't want to, so he's going to say it. Yeah, take it away, Corgi. <laughs> well, thank you. All I was going to do is promote you. Follow Kirsty on Twitter at Kirsty Alley. Also, if you listen to us on Anchor, you can leave us a voicemail. We have listened to hundreds of your voicemails, and we'll probably use some in the show in the near future. And if you listen on Apple products or Google or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure to like us. Make sure to leave a review. Hopefully it's five stars. On behalf of Kirstie Alley, I'm Corey. We'll see you next time. This is Kirstie Alley on The Verge. <laughs>